The text for the sermon this day is taken from Isaiah chapter 2, specifically these words. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word. This is the word. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As a quick note about that hymn that we just sang, did anybody happen to notice how old that hymn is? It was written by St. Ambrose of Milan, who lived from 340 to 397 A.D. So, it was a couple years ago. I usually joke to my parents, like, what were the dinosaurs like? So, I don't know, maybe somebody's around at that time. But, St. Ambrose was one of the giants of the Christian faith. And... Just one of the cool little things in that third verse where he says, God was there upon his throne. If you read it, what was his throne? The womb of Mary. Kind of a cool thought. But, to the text, that, to the sermon. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, you find and you read about the fall and the sin. The man and the woman partook of that fruit, and when God confronted them in their sin, they, were, they said, oh yeah, we messed up. Nope, they didn't do that. No, instead they said, Adam said, this woman whom you gave me. In other words, it was the woman's fault, but even more so, it was God's fault for giving him the woman. And then, the woman blamed it on the serpent. Their first children, Cain and Abel, Cain was jealous of Abel. And out of his jealousy, he murdered Abel. Many years down the road, there would be two twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was, Esau was favored by his father. Jacob was favored by his mother. And thus there was conflict between the two, and Jacob conned his brother out of his birthright. Jacob's children would sell their, their brother Joseph into slavery. Later, when Moses would lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, they would complain and grumble and say, Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? Why would you lead us out here to die? Well, all we have is this bread. All we have is this and that. And all they did is complain and grumble. Saul, the very first king of Israel, became jealous of David and tried to kill David multiple times. The kingdom of Israel after Solomon had died, which Solomon already began to introduce some issues in his kingdom, just as a reminder, guys, try not to have 400 wives. It's, 
I'm just going out on a limb on that one. It just does not go well for life. Solomon had way too many wives, and so it caused chaos in the kingdom, and eventually the kingdom split into the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Go all the way to the 20th century. The 20th century was a century of great advancement in technology. We saw the, invent the invention of the automobile, the assembly line, the invention of airplanes. We saw medical technology that expanded life unlike any other time in the history of this world. With so much new technology, we have become far, far more efficient at getting everything done quicker and expanding life. But at the same time, with that same technology, we have become more efficient than any other time in history at killing one another. Weapons are, no long, are automatic. We have tanks, we have fighter jets, we have nuclear bombs, gas chambers that we've seen in the 20th century, medicine, ways to create germ warfare, disease warfare, spread of virus. People have even figured out ways to kill their children in the womb more and more effectively. The 21st century, we brought another technology. The internet became, well, the internet was before the 21st century, but it really has been booming. I mean, think about it. It wasn't that long ago that if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, the only way they could get a hold of you is you had to be home. And if you were not home, they had to leave a message on the answered machine, and hopefully you'll get back to them when you have time. And some of you may remember the days where you had the party lines and people got to listen in on your conversations. Things like that. But now, you could be literally anywhere and you could make, get a phone call. Used to be if you want to send a message to your friend that's five hours away or whatever, you had to send it by snail mail. Now you got email. You have social media. You have means to communicate with people like never before. And you have information at your fingertips. If you want to know when certain actor was born or something happened, all you have to do is go to Google and search and boom, you got it. And you'd think with that that we would be the most knowledgeable people in the history of the world. But we're not. Sad thing is that even though we have all that information at our fingertips, so few know how to discern good information from bad information. And when it comes to communication, you would think that we, were the, we would be the closest people in the history of the world, that we should be able to communicate with people and have such great community. But again, that's not reality. On the contrary, social media has been a means 
to, to spread division, spread conflict, unlike any other time in the history of the world. We fight about anything and everything we could fight about. I've got to, as you well know, I'm a fan of Star Wars, superheroes, and all that stuff. But it's got to do the point that I dread whenever a new movie comes out because I guarantee it someone's going to complain and grumble about something. And the thing is, is that there are people that have realized that conflict breeds income. They realize that they can make money off of it. So I'll give you an example. This has, been, this has happened a couple times on the internet, on Facebook. So there was a post that I shared a, while, a couple weeks ago. It was this Bible verse that got blurred out. And it said, sensitive content. In order to open it, you had to click, and then it, it appeared. And I was just, I've been, I was baffled. Why is this not, work? why can I not read this? Why is this Bible verse blurred? I mean, on the list of Bible verses, it's probably, it was one of the least offensive ones. There are Bible verses, yes. I mean, if I, we read the, some of the parts in Romans, okay, I, what we just heard, I could kind of get some of that being um, blurred out about orgies and all that stuff. I get that part. But this verse was not one of those type of verses. And I found out a couple weeks later what happened. Some people have figured out how to trick Facebook's algorithm. And what they do is they put a little bit of weird black paint coloring above it and below it to trip it. Because they know that if it gets flagged as sensitive, it will be spread across the internet and shared and shared and shared and shared over and over. And the more times you share, the more of your personal information they get. And the more of your personal information they get, the more money they get. Because you know what? Some people have tested. If you cropped the photo so it's just the photo, it doesn't get blurred. And the funny thing, the sad thing is, is that verse, if it had been shared like that, where it was able to be shared, most people wouldn't have shared it. Because even us, we thirst on conflict. Are you catching a whole theme in all that? Everything, all the way back to Adam and Eve. Conflict. We fight, we fight, we fight. And we find ways to do it more and more. I mean, how many of us think, are excited by the fact that we're, com we're coming up on a new presidential election? Anyone excited? Not, especially not in Iowa, because they, they Swarm our state because we're the start of the uh, primaries or the caucuses, whichever. None of us are excited by that because we know what is coming with it. But the thing is, the fighting happens between brothers, between siblings. The fighting happens between parents and children. Happens even between spouses. We fight, we fight. And the gospel lesson, this took, this, took, this recorded 
an event from March of 33 A.D. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. Now the people of Israel had an understanding that the ruler, the leader of Israel, must be a descendant of Jacob. If they are not a descendant of Jacob or son of Abraham, they were not to be the ruler, the emperor, the king, whatever. But at this point, they are ruled by Tiberius Caesar, who is a Gentile, like myself and probably most of us. A Gentile is simply a way of saying not Jewish. And so they did not want the reign of the Roman Empire. They wanted a return to the kingdom of Israel. And so they were longing for the Christ, longing for the Messiah, the son of David. And so Jesus had created quite the reputation. Feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Making the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the mute to speak. He even raised people from the dead, cleansed lepers by touching them. He could heal people with just a word, even if they were in another town. Boy, could you imagine him leading an army against the Romans? If you wanted a meal to feed your army, you hardly need anything to do with. If you have somebody die on the battlefield, he'll raise them up. Get any wounds or injuries, he can heal it. He's got to be the guy to lead and overthrow those Roman oppressors. And so Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a mighty stallion. Nope, not quite. That's what they would probably hope for. No, he rode in on a donkey. Yes, they understand that image of him riding, that this is, as it says here, from the prophet, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Many would be aware of that prophecy, that he is fulfilling it, but he would ride in on a donkey as a sign of victory, not to start a war. So he's not quite what they're expecting. But you see, Jesus came to establish a kingdom that is everlasting, not an earthly kingdom. And he came to do it not with might, not with power, but he would do it by fully restraining his might, restraining his power. And he took the fullness of the wrath and the anger that man might bring upon him. They sentenced him to death as if he were the worst of criminals, dying on a cross, nails into his hands and into his feet, a crown of thorns on his head to mock him. And slowly dying in agony. Dying to bring healing to a world. To bring an end to sin. To bring an end to death. To bring an end to the devil. And bringing to the end to sin is the very center of bringing the end of conflict, of fighting, of squabbling amongst our world. 
Because ultimately every bit of it stems from sin. If there were no sin, there would be no fighting. But by the blood of Christ on the cross, he guaranteed an end to it. As the prophet Isaiah says, He shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. I don't know about you, but when you look at all the fighting and the squabbling in our world, it's exhausting. You long for a day where it ceases, where it's never to be. And here, this is the prophecy is that it will come. The season of Advent is a season of anticipation. We're not, the primary purpose of Advent is not preparing for Christmas. That's part of it. But the primary purpose is preparing for the returning of our King. Because what was the title of that hymn that we just sang? Which, by the way, you hear that hymn, you know what's Advent. Savior of the nations, come. Longing for him to bring salvation. To bring an end to war. I mean, look at that beautiful imagery. Swords and the plowshares. If you want to think it in modern day, you'd be, maybe you turn... Turn tanks into combines. Turn fighter jets into crop dusters. Although I have a feeling it might be interesting to do crop dusting with the F-16, given how fast they go. That's the Everything changed to a world where it is not necessary. A world that is designed for growth. And life, that is what he promises. Yes, we are anticipating Christmas. And there's actually some really neat history. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the story, and maybe you have heard, and there's a movie based about it. During 19, in 1914, World War I, on Christmas Eve it happened that the German and British forces, they're fighting, but they decided to have an unofficial ceasefire. And so they sat in the trenches, one another, they're celebrating their Christmases, and the story has it that in one of the trenches, they began to sing, the Germans were beginning to sing Silent Night. Now, I don't know the German of Silent Night, <coughs> But they were singing it. And the tune was pretty familiar. And so the, Brit the British soldiers on the other side of no man's land, in their trenches, began to sing with them. And one by one, these soldiers who only hours before were trying to kill each other, began singing Silent Night together. And that was just the start of a Christmas celebration that they would share with one another. They met in the middle of no man's land, exchanging gifts, having, play, they played a game of soccer, which I've heard the, I heard the Germans won that one. 
They even had communion together. The Lord's Supper. This little moment, it's called, known as the Christmas Truce. In some places it only ha lasted for a day. There were some that actually lasted over a week, all the way to New Year's. But the interesting thing they found, the Germans and the British, was they found that they could no longer fight each other when they spent time seeing each other as brothers instead of as enemies. All surrounding the celebration of the birth of Christ. That moment is a simple moment in history that reflects the promise that awaits us. And this is even the beauty of the Lord's Supper which we call communion, common union. The many becoming one. This is why we practice closed communion. I know this is one of those things that people don't like. And trust me, even as a pastor, it's not always, it is not easy. But nonetheless, it is what is commanded. And what is done for the sake of those who commune. So when you come up to the Lord's Supper, you are saying that I believe with this congregation that in the bread, in the wine, is the body and the blood of Jesus. The body is present, the blood is present, the bread is present, the wine is present, and you receive the forgiveness of sins. That your faith is strengthened. You believe, you confess that you believe that baptism saves. And it is beneficial even from, for anyone from newborn to over 100 years old. You confess that you believe that the Bible is God's word. Not that it just contains God's word, but it is God's word. You confess that salvation is by grace through faith, not by works. Every time you come to this table, you are confessing. That unity. You are coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ. United to one another. And for that moment, every time you gather, you're getting a taste of that unity. Of that peace. Of that bliss that is to come. God makes sure to give us that. To keep us going. Looking forward to the day that we will all be one in him. Confessing him as our king. Confessing him as Lord. And war, they shall learn no more. O house of Jacob. O house St. Paul Lutheran Church. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Until he comes. In Jesus name. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, the life everlasting.